0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: I guess we should hit
0: record before we start, eh, CD? <laughs> <laughs> now we're rolling! So CD and I have been talking for an hour. <laughs> um. and- and we just finally hit the record button. So thank you again, CD. Let's do this one more time. Man, Thanks again for your time uh, and for coming I, in, CD. I can't even believe
1: the stuff that we figured out oh, no, that last yo. hour, man. I'm pretty sure what we were talking about would have solved pretty much all the problems. And now it's gone. <laughs> now it's it's gone. lost forever. No! Yes.
0: CD in the house. Dude, thank you for your generosity and your time. I really appreciate it. So um, Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's my pleasure, uh, especially, you know, after getting into Love in the Wasteland, just top to bottom and thanks again for coming out to uh, James Durlow for the last event we did out of Sessions on the River. Uh it was great to have, you know, Perpetual Peace Project representing and, and
1: That was a while ago. That was uh that was October?
0: Yeah. October, October. twenty sixteen, yeah. Yeah. We did a couple shows there and thanks to Chris C- Curry for doing the heavy lifting and, and uh giving us a place to do a really cool event. I had twenty one bands that day that you start you started it out with James in yeah, the we early opened morning. It up, put we a little prayer
1: that. in the air and uh hope the whole thing went went well. I didn't wasn't able to stick around but uh
0: You know, and you kind of taught you taught me many things, C D, whether you know it or not, but that whole blessing and opening an event in a spiritual way, whether you call it God or the universe or...
1: Psychology. W- w-
0: whatever the oversoul is, is that, that it's that ceremony. And I think well, we've lost so much ceremony in the human's experience. And I don't think that's very good. But that whole ceremony of opening an event with something like the Perpetual Peace Project.
1: I would... I was taught that the word ceremony, it has to do with remembering, uh, and remembering kind of what you're doing or why you're there. And so I think a lot of, uh, what I think of as ceremony, well, it's trying to reflect and, and think about what has brought you together. And when you go down that path, uh, there's forces out of our control that have brought us together. So likewise today, it's just like our hearts are beating, our blood is pumping. Um, A lot of things had to happen for us to be here right now. We had to have delicious smoothies Mm. by nature's hemp. Yeah, we're (laughs) powered by nature's hemp today. Soon in more ways than one. But yeah, ceremony... I I think it's powerful in my own experience. I, I feel like when I don't remind myself about what I'm doing mm. on this earth or try to consciously put it, I can go adrift and get into ruts, and I do that all the time. And so because I don't have concrete or uh, reenacted ceremonies in my life, uh, but I do find when... when uh, an acting ceremony, it can have a lasting and, and and good effect on on the way that things play out psychologically, interpersonally, spiritually mm-hmm.
0: Now do you see I feel like is really lacking in our modern world I mean we used to have ceremony for everything and and, and even when we lived in tribes. And, and didn't really have language the way we do now, and certainly didn't have the written word. Even to keep a history, I think it's it's amazing that, as humans, we don't even know where we came from. We can have theories on evolution, and you can have theories on you know creation and all that kind of stuff. But And all this fighting, we'll fight to the death to f- defend our God or defend our right not to believe in a God or defend the fact that there is no God. And And... Well, for what? I mean, we, we don't even know for sure where we came from. Like, we can theorize, but we don't know. Our history is, has all these gaps in it. And similarly, I think ceremony has been really weeded out of our, our existence. And back when we lived in tribes, you know, the elders used to come and take the teenage boy basically off his mother's teat yelling and screaming and take him across that bridge literally the, literally across the bridge to the island where he was to be made a man and he would come back without the boy and now guys like you and, and men all over the world and myself we never had that indoctrination we never had that killing off of the child so now we're mature child men and we didn't have that initiation and that rite of passage and that 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 ceremony of killing the, the adolescent child and growing up. So many men you see, well, there's, you only got to
1: look south of the border to know that, wow, that's really having an impact now. Absolutely. And I think a lot of... Uh people in our generation Mm -hmm. um i heard it described as a laissez-faire attitude and i had never thought of it i always think okay laissez-faire is related to capitalism it means basically do what you want and i think we would have objected if somebody was like no now is the time that you go across the bridge onto that island because it's not what you want it's what's best for society society right Because if we don't kill the child, then it has all these repercussions
0: down the road. I mean, figuratively, we're killing the child. We're not actually murdering the child. Well, we are in a sense, but not literally, obviously.
1: Right. Um, My understanding is part of that idea is to gain a sense of independence and um, of self-sustenance and um, basically a knowing, a deep, deep, internalized spiritual knowing that uh, of your relationship to this life and then coming back to the community with that knowing and yeah you're you're right like i personally never had an experience like that um i took communion in the christian faith um what that involved was you study some passages from the bible and I wasn't. I didn't want to do it. I did it for my parents. Right. I. I didn't feel like. I'm completely. Um, behind this, hey. I completely believe this. Well, so, I, how old were you? Dude, I'm 14 mean. years old. Right, and I was at that point. I wasn't going to church regularly, and it was kind of the plea of my dad, who was a minister. Um, he he said, you know here it basically set it up and then i i did it on his behalf and uh that day there was a severe thunderstorm and i was like you know a guilty-minded teenager and thinking like this is because i don't believe in a high i don't believe in the christian god um that's what i was thinking at that point
0: well we must have some belief if you thought somebody was angry with you (laughs) right yeah
1: i was like well geez this is uh this is for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, not, I'm I mean uh, I guess I guess to be more precise, I didn't have a wholehearted belief in the tenets of the Christian faith as I understood them at the time. Mm. Um, I now look at the whole, uh, well, Christian faith is not one thing. It's a whole bunch of different things. It's a, a complex culture unto itself. I think there's some really, really good stuff there and there's some really, really bad stuff there. So it's got the whole spectrum of human behavior, but it also has a uh, continuous tradition that uses a lot of mythology that's been passed on, like talking about where we've come from. Well, that's where I've come from is a Judeo-Christian background where there's been this continuous tradition of telling the stories of job and moses and jesus and and that's been passed on to this day to the point where you know it has a different connotation today but it's still very much where i've come from where my family has has come from and i mean as a european integrated what's your background
0: Oh, well, I'm surprised to find out I have a whole lot of French in me, which just tears me apart because <laughs> all my jokes are based around French people. No, I joke, I joke, I just joke. Mm-hmm. Um, the name's Irish, Fannin, obviously. Okay. Um, but I have no connection, and, and Aaron and I have talked about this too, and in the, in the, um, the subconscious grief of not carrying your ancestry forward of not knowing where you came from, of not knowing what your lineage was and your traditional foods and religions and all kinds of things. And Aaron really talks about, and I think it's really, I love it when you guys bring these things forward, these ideas that I've never contemplated before. When Aaron used to talk about this pain, especially that men carry forward in life that's naturally born into us, I'm like, what are you talking about? But now I look into it more and hear him speak on it more and talk to guys like you, uh, I really, I, I get it a little bit more, right? So, I, you know, although the name is... You look at me and you see pain. Is what you're saying? <laughs> the name is you, you Irish. Look, man, this guy no, is a no, lot no. of grief. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I understand it a little bit more, and the name is Irish, but I really have no connection to the homeland, and it's so many generations ago. Like, it was my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather or something came over, maybe, so who knows?
1: Something I learned recently was that uh, Paris was founded by a Celtic tribe, Uh, paris france Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like the celts came over to mainland europe and started a village near the river and it expanded there so like that irish french connection is very Mm -hmm. old as well yeah so yeah i don't
0: have a deep connection to the to my lineage but where we're going with the the whole ancestry thing as far as we started with the faith and we, we see, started with
1: ceremony Do
0: you see yeah. that 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 was a baptism or communion or something that you do you see that as a like a rite of passage that may not might not have been something that you and like i i grew up catholic god forgive me um i wasn't ever a religious per- person i think our family was what you might call a cafeteria catholic where we went to church on easter and and Christmas, and and the, you know, the important religious holidays. I was baptized before I could speak. I had First Communion before I really knew what it was, grade five or six. And then nowadays, you can opt out of confirmation in a Catholic school. That wasn't an option at St. Alfred's, (laughs) you know, St. Alfred's School. Everyone got confirmed. You're in a Catholic school system. And I, freaking passed out of my confirmation like seriously at the back of the church all that kneeling and then standing when you're i was six three and 160 pounds or something back then you know I was a long drink of water and that that kneeling and standing up when you're growing so fast like i went down for the count it was a bad experience they dragged me out of the church and i woke up with a massive headache and the whole
1: school was freaking out and like who needs that kind of shit i didn't have but that's memorable that's like that's like the thunderstorm it was uh, like you passed out. Maybe. You actually passed out on yeah. your confirmation.
0: I remember Emmanuel Emmanuel Egamino, a Filipino buddy of mine, and I mean, uh, me and him and Phil were like the three, not the three stooges, like the three musketeers. We we're badass. We hung together. We it, were inseparable, and of course we're standing together, Emmanuel and myself. And so after I stood up, I looked at him, I guess, and he looked at me, and he says, "Fennan, what's your problem?" He smacked me across the you know, kind of slapped me in the face like he could see I was I was losing it or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I went right down. He smacked me and I went out cold. <laughs> and they had to drag me out of the freaking church. But I didn't have you say, you know... That's like the
1: s- snap into <laughs> it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it had the opposite effect. <laughs> <It was> horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you um, poor passed guy. out.
0: Oh, you poor guy. He was hes probably uh, still scarred from that day, but... You know, I didn't have, you say, you know, I didn't want to do it. I did it for my father. I I wasn't present to any part of me that was like, I don't want to do this. I don't remember ever resisting it. I just, it was just what we did. And, you know, I've had a different ceremony uh, religiously since then uh, that doesn't involve the Catholic church. And. And even that, I was like, I was, I was really uneasy about doing it because I think faith, for me, faith has been very private, and I think it should stay that way. And I think if more of us treated religion privately, then we wouldn't have as many freaking problems if, as we have now. But they, you know, the church tells you to go and preach, uh, disciple, and, and that can't be a bad thing. But I, I just mean, we all our wars and everything we fight about basically is surrounding God or oil. Um, or my God versus your God, and, you know, Judaism, Catholicism, and uh, the Muslim faith are are three religions that we're still trying to figure out how to coexist, for crying out loud. So, uh, you know, as we're still talking about ceremony, you know, that's very different from, you know, taking the young boy across the bridge and making him a man, maybe it's not, but... Uh, we don't really have those leaders and those mentors and the elders around us now to have our back and and to teach us wisdom.
1: I I think we've lost a lot of trust in the, in the institutions of Christianity in this culture. Um, I know that personally I have, um, and I longed for trustworthy mentor figures when I was an adolescent and, And when I was a young man, especially, people who I could say, um, well, I could say, recount an experience that I had with psychedelics and say, can you help me interpret this? Can you help me understand what this means? I wish there was somebody there that I would have gone to and said, hey, because I, I had what I would call religious experiences with uh, psychedelics and my understanding as, a, as an adolescent though as as both an adolescent and a young man like in my okay. in my early 20s and um, I, I remember feeling like a little bit conflicted because I felt like I should go talk to somebody who's who's maybe part of a tradition that uh, deals with how do you call it how do you call it like experiences with with A higher power.
0: Well, yeah, when you have something that you think, my life is never going to be the same again, and I know this right now from experiencing this, yeah, you need some input. You need some uh, somebody to tear it down for you and say, well, this is what it could mean for you, right? And that's, you know, uh, it's funny you bring up the psychedelics because, you know, I've had my time in the sun with the psychedelics, you know, the what we used to call acid, which is LSD, but I mean that's about probably one of the more powerful psychedelics that you could do. And in high school, we played with that stuff like it was candy. We took it every weekend, sometimes twice a weekend. And wow, we had some of the most mind expanding experiences and you knew why you're in it. And even afterwards, you're never going to be the same. You opened a gateway, a doorway to a different dimension that your brain didn't have access to on this plane. And strangely enough, I'm having thoughts of going back there just to experience
1: it as an adult. Because when you're in grade 10, you don't get it. And that's where we were. And uh, there's so many things that go into experiencing a psychedelic trip, Um, I mean, from the 60s and 70s, there were basically two major camps of thought. One of them was uh, all about set and setting, and it was an academic approach. It was like, you've got to have a comfortable setting, make sure whoever's taking it is in a good space, and it primes the the trip. And then the other school of thought was the laissez-faire, we're gonna put it in the Kool-Aid. People who aren't <laughs> even it expecting it are gonna be taking it, and like, my understanding is that well, there was a lot, there was a lot of fun that came out of the the second camp, but there was also a lot of troubles that come come out of that. And uh, I know personally, for anybody going into a psychedelic experience like that, I would want them to be in a comfortable place because I do think it very much profoundly alters and uh, um, shapes the experience that you have on the on the substance Um, right and I agree with you completely
0: it's almost like we were talking earlier before we started rolling here about you know the effects of alcohol and how it's changed us as we've aged Uh, alcohol hasn't changed but the effect of alcohol on us has a different effect than it used to when we were younger Like I backed away from beer and I love beer man, wow or even Appleton's, rum and Cokes but I just can't deal the next day with it and so and the agreement that I made with myself some time ago was okay, no more new drugs (laughs) I remember when I was in California, I had a question around ecstasy, and I thought that I wanted to try it. But I had this deal that I had made in my mind that no more new drugs. You know, the drugs that I manage right now is enough for me. I don't need to get turned on to something else and have to go down that road. So I I never did try ecstasy. Uh, There was an opportunity for me. It wasn't right. But I feel this calling. You know, the mushrooms, you know, I do them here and there. Last time I did them, we were not in that safe place. And we we're kind of going from party to party. We we're at Shirkston Beach, and it was shitty, because, you know, you walk into a bar and the whole bar just collapses down on you, and then you're you're like, okay, well, all right, well, get ready, we're leaving in twenty minutes. Well, then you're ex- you know you can't really set yourself. You're leaving in twenty minutes, so you're you're transient. And then you get to the next place, and you know you're not going to be there long. So that really turned me off. Yeah. And I really think it's important if you if you drink and you're angry. I think you're going to be an angry drunk. I mean, sometimes it it could relieve some pain and maybe makes you happier or stuff like that. But I truly think that your frame of mind matters. It doesn't matter what drug it is. Well, some drugs more than others, especially alcohol. I think some angry people, when they drink, they get angry drunk, right? I don't want that. So I've been really considering going back to that experiment of the LSD as a, is a grown-up human as much as you can say Jim Fannin's a um, (laughs) grown-up just because that gateway was so profound and that door has been shut for decades for me and if I ever do it again and I think I'm I'm warming to it you know and I think you know there will be very safe people Sitting around a very safe room or a campfire in a very safe location where no one's coming and going, new people, especially straight people, aren't coming in and out of the conversation. You do it with the people that you're with, and you stay with those because it's a five or eight hour commitment, man. This is not something to take lightly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like
0: I'm really sensitive to mostly drugs that I ingest, like eating, like even pills. I can't I can't tolerate pills. They make me they green me out, right? And so I take a a
1: trip to New York City like five eight hour drive yeah so, so you, and you so when i there. drop a hit
0: of sid I, I i trip for 12 hours and some yeah. people might say well, oh, no i do three or four hits and uh, to get that high but no i could i could do a, a a hit of sid and be gone for half the day and i don't mean gone gone but you know what it's like and, it, and so i've really just recently started to say you know what I'd like to go back there in a very safe environment, just to open that door to see what's on the other side as a man, and maybe, maybe we sit around the microphones and record it. What could be better than that, you know? And I'm not here to promote drugs. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Okay, we know that.
1: But, but are also experiences can be good, and yeah, uh, I want to go back to something that you too. said, like as far as uh, frame of mind being important for for, you know, alcohol psychedelics it's important in life like i think that touches back to ceremony is that through ceremony we can set our frame of mind um as to what kind of window we're looking at through our psychological lens and uh, i think i think that can help in that way where we can open doors with without well, I mean, I mean the same chemistry that goes into drugs is in our body, um, right? It, it really is, and and it can be, you know, it can be thrown off balance by, by, by frame of mind. I mean, I guess uh, you asking me something that I'm passionate about earlier, and one of the things is psychology, human psychology. I find it endlessly fascinating for sure um human brain's such a complicated instrument and we get to have one and use and one the and the whole
0: coolest part is the consciousness of it right like we're
1: be uh, we conscious yeah consciousness, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um so i mean i find that to be because it's uh also our own study like we're always uh We're always immersed in it, in our consciousness,
0: and Uh, also immersed inside the weapon against ourselves that our human brain is. Like how many? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a thought that I've had and went, "What the hell? Oh, why not?" Like it actually shocks you to the point where, like, you feel guilty for having a thought like that. Yeah. And and then you forget you're human, and this is natural, and it's only the ones that have the thoughts and then bury them. At least I'm, I don't want to say I'm enlightened enough, but at least woke enough to use what the kids are saying today to, to go, wow, that's shitty. How and why would I ever think something like that is beyond me? Yeah, but I guess the, the awareness is the first step, right?
1: Yeah, it's a big step. And also, yeah. Yeah, man. And that changes so much, too. Uh, yesterday, I told myself I hated myself. Uh, and I had had a couple of drinks the night before, and I woke up, and I was miserable. But it su- still surprised me that I said that. Like, I don't regularly um, internally verbalize like, I hate me.
0: <laughs> like, oh, oh. I
1: was just like, uh, what? Like... Who said that? Who said that? <laughs> Who's in there? And then uh. But it it kind of, it fit the tone of how I was feeling. It fit the tone of, like, I don't feel good kind of thing. And, and, I, and I also did it to myself kind of mm, thing. Yeah, and you always uh, feel the
0: guilt and shame from that. Right, yeah.
1: So it was like a self-respect thing and trying to battle, battle through it. But I was, I didn't, I was able to, uh, I guess, process it, process it. And, you know, I didn't. uh I didn't go any further down the self-hatred path, but it was so easy
0: though, the day after alcohol
1: for me. Yeah,
0: for Mm -hmm. sure. And it never used to be that way, but as I've gotten older, I have really had to back away from alcohol because I don't think anyone woke up in the morning after smoking too many joints and said, Oh shit. Did I really say that? Did I really have sex with that girl or that farm animal? Or like, I mean, try and get a, the keys from a drunk you're irrational belligerent stubborn and i never seen a guy smoking weed that acts that way so and you know rogan who i've been spending a lot of time with joe rogan on podcast obviously not hanging out with but i learned so much from him and he, he he said something just profoundly simple the other day you know it doesn't matter what it is you drink well he didn't say this but i'm comparing it to even too much water is bad for you (laughs) if <laughs> you drink too much. Yeah. So you got to yeah. be sure that if it's not serving you, you got to pull it back. Yeah. Take a break. Cut it back. And I remember seeing a, you know, I um, can't remember, I was sitting with my doctor and somebody, you know, I, I suggested to him, somebody said, well, maybe it's got something to do with the weed. He says, well, why don't you try cutting it back a bit? And I looked at him like, what the fuck are you talking about, doc? It was so, prof- like, Yeah. If, it's it. not, if you think it's a problem, <laughs> dial it back, man. What are like, you, an idiot? You need a doctor to tell you this it's thing, like but coming know. from him, it made sense, right? Like,
1: well, I like it to a certain point, but then after that, I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. Just do it to the certain point. Um, I'm very thankful to my dad. He always taught me with alcohol. He, he quoted, he said, uh, anything beyond pleasure is a waste. And I think it applies to
0: to anything. Well, that's the thing about alcohol though, is it's pleasurable right up until the point that you pass out shit-faced drunk. It's the next day that you no. wake up and say I'm I, a total tool.
1: I never enjoy vomiting in the toilet. I never <laughs> enjoy like that that feeling of of my guts wanting to 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 to, to escape Come through my throat of your body. Man, I, that's not <laughs> It wasn't like, oh man, that was really great, and then the next day be like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed that. No, if I'm to that point that it's not pleasurable anymore. <laughs> um, man, I, that's still a song I've wanted to write since I was like 17. Um I want to call it American Standard, but I haven't written it. So, American anybody American Standard, yeah. not Crane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I American heard, Standard after the toilet, right? I think I just learned recently that was it chevy chase is part of the crane family oh really when, yeah his, he's he's his family manufactures those toilets and so i just learned that recently that's random It um, yeah, that is random if it's but not american true, standard just really has, cool, has more of a ring like as a song right uh, but if anybody if anybody if there's anybody who's listening right now and they want to no write listening. that into a song
0: <laughs> they can have it maybe they're listening because you're on the show but no, nobody listens. I,
1: That's why we can do it with a, no fear. Yeah. <laughs> there's no fear here. Nobody's gonna listen to this shit, anyways. It's like if you want to be alone, go to the internet. Just go, you know. If you want to be completely anonymous, just project your thoughts onto yeah. uh, the internet. If you want to hide your thoughts, make a blog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we could talk about the frustration of social media for hours and hours. It's uh, you know, it's it's become a very um, it's closing in on a sickness for me. You know, I can't, I find it hard to put my phone down. I find it hard to not to say, hey, oh, I just posted that tweet a few hours ago. I wonder who commented. Oh, no one commented. And you're disappointed. And I'm like, oh, someone said this. And no, now I'm heartbroken. And uh, oh, someone gave me a pat on the back. And now I'm elated. Really? It's a you, you're that dependent and that needy on a freaking medium like social media to give you your elevation? to tell you that you're worthy. I mean, I think that's where we've come as a society. Maybe I'm a little bit more prone to it than most, but it's it's I have like a hard time rewards. putting it down, man.
1: It's like the way it's set up is like the little Ooh. red things are rewards. It's like, "Oh, there's another reward."
0: And I mean, what you meaning—the likes and the comments and the shares. Whatever, and stuff? yeah, yeah. That that, that new red thing. light. That it's new. There's new.
1: There's a new, and like it's mm. like, oh, there's a little reward, and like I mean, I bet if they ran that study with rats, it would be the same. Right. You want a little reward here? Yeah, mm. come to it. Come to it. Yeah, there's a reward. They just keep going back and cycle into it. If it's not healthy, it sucks. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. We could probably. I don't know if we want to go down. This, this we well, can. Of...
0: There's, there's no limits here, man. Including, well, it's the only limit for you is your time. But um, you know, w- we can talk whatever you want. Uh, I'm interested to talk about, uh, and I, I really find this. I think Aaron was the one that uh, finally broke through to me, and I know you feel this way as well. But he was talking about living close to the water, and just the effect of the water on your life, and your mind, and your your calm nature and, and, and I find, you know, I kind of started noticing when we're going down to the falls, you know, you're breathing that mist and I never really considered it living two blocks from the, or a block from the lake. The walking over that great body of water is, is, has a healing, a healing power almost to it. And, you know, I love when I finally became aware of water is the ultimate solvent. And I never really thought of it that way before. But you don't, like, for instance, you leave your dishes soaking in the sink. You don't need to have them soaking in soapy water. The water takes it off by itself. And I remember when somebody told me, you run your hands underwater, 95% of the germs wash off. You don't actually need soap. So I'm interested in, you know, I know this is connected to the Perpetual Peace Project and then, um the you guys did the water walk around the region which i thought was so cool and you i mean that's a big that's a huge commitment right so talk to us about your connect to, connect connection to you know the greatest solvent in the world and how it's been an inspiration for you and
1: where you see your your role in it i can dig that uh the solvency of water as you know the analogy being the way that the waterfall turns solid rock into pebbles. It like almost dissolves the rock. Um, I think being somebody who uh, didn't originate in Niagara Falls, but has, has come there. And then I've, there's always that presence in Niagara Falls you can hear the, the voice of the falls. You can just, yeah, in the night it's going on. Um, that, and so many people, like uh, anybody in business there, they want to make a connection to the falls. And there's that saying, Niagara Falls is a global uh, global site. And, and the water has this persistent, quality to it and it's that persistence that turns the rock into silt grains silt and um i have seen that as an analogy towards the way we could be can be towards uh working at some of the harder problems in humanity. Um it's been a theme in my life that people when I ask them what they want for their birthday, they say, peace on earth. That's what my mom used to say when I was nine years old. Mom, what do you want for your birthday? Peace on earth. Um, I asked Aaron's uncle, What do you want for your Christmas? Oh, peace on earth. And there's this like idea that's been recirculated and passed on and there's this okay um yeah a lot of people if you ask them do you want peace on earth they say yeah um and having that waterfall oh you know what that that water it it just continually persists towards that it has this current of energy that washes away that hardened sensibility, and I've vibed on that, oh maybe that's how we can, as a collective work towards peace on this planet. You know, I get uh, a lot of comparisons to well, you have a likeness to John Lennon, and mm-hmm. it that's also been present throughout my whole life where it since I was like 13, 14, people would tell me that. And um, he he is a figure who uh, he also tried to have a project to, to bring peace on earth. And he tried to use his celebrity, his talent, his voice to um, push further in that direction. Now, he also said that he believed that it could happen in one year or two years um from my perspective i like the teaching that's given in the mohawk tradition that seven generations forward so thinking seven generations forward and i feel like we dream for future generations we 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 share our dreams our hopes and dreams and then they get passed on and then if the ideas are good, they get passed on. They get passed on. And they might not be said something as big as, well, a whole nine billion, however many people are going to be here in, in, in the mm. coming years. Too many. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. So, I mean, I feel like, um, and Immanuel Kant talks about this in his uh, treatise called The Perpetual Peace Project. He says that, peace is a good idea and eventually it will come to be how is it going to look is kind of kind of the idea and um i think we need to want it or the people who who want it need to do something about it i uh, need to act on that want and try to Create a culture that can sustain peace. Um, I feel like I'm diverting, like a river, from uh, from the original question of water. But but that's. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, you're too conscious of the microphones, dude. This is just a just a hangout. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the winding path, you know. And, and talk about diverting. Let's talk about uh, the Monday night jam sessions. It's something that totally. Di- Um, so I really, I thought it was cool. Aaron sits down on the drum kit because he doesn't normally play drums and he plays, he's got the beat and the drummer's got a certain amount of control on how that jam goes because, well, he's the rhythm and the percussion, right? And so I see him building a momentum, building a momentum, building, and then he can drop it or, and then he backs out. And I just see the, everyone around him reacts like dominoes. and I think it was so cool, such a cool experience. And I was so grateful to bring Scotty down there and have, you spent some time with him. He never jammed before, never played in public before, and now he never misses a week. But I just thought it was so cool to talk about how the, 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 the stream wanders. Like it goes this way, it goes this way. It might do a 180. It could do a 360. It's just the music and how it, what the drummer's doing. or It doesn't matter. Even if maybe I'm playing the bongos or something, I could do something that affects your next verse or your next move or your next inclination in music and I think that's so cool that you brought that up and I was so impressed by it just sitting there watching Aaron I'm going, Wow, because it's it's a river. It really is a river. But sometimes the river does a three sixty on you So really- uh, that's been a huge gift to me as well. Those Monday night jams and the way we just divert so there's no rules here, man. It's a it's a winding path. It's a river. Don't you can't push a river.
1: R- rhythm <laughs> can't push a river. Um Yeah, so going with the flow uh, as a musician i in a, as an artist, I felt at the time where the perpetual peace project came about i'm not sure if that's exactly the question that you've asked but uh but uh it was riffing on seeing what we could give back in our community and riffing on the falls as a natural symbol or the tone the 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 note that's being played is this this gigantic waterfall that has a huge plume of, uh, mist and there's this natural rainbow that forms in the sunlight and thinking, how can we harmonize on that? And, I, I feel like that hasn't been the mentality towards, well, nature. Um, there's a lot of writing that exists that says the, how can we subdue the falls and how can we like, overcome it kind of thing. And I feel like that's not where we are now as a culture. I feel like we're, we're I really have great faith and hope for humanity. And I see it in a lot of different fields where people are trying to harmonize with nature, whether it be engineering or energy or music and art. But trying to do things that work with the natural world and optimize it. And I I really believe that 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 framework, even though it doesn't seem like it from a lot of the media that we get and, and even a lot of the things that are present in politics, um, Yeah, I was just going to say, where the hell do you get that faith from? Because humans are so fucking stupid. They drive me
0: (laughs) nuts. Now, I have to constantly remind myself that people are basically good. Now, we can have a, you know, I think you'll probably agree with me. Many of my friends would say, uh, no, people are actually evil to their core. They have to, it's hard work to be good. I I think that we're actually born good. But where does your faith in humanity come from, especially in this strange time where we question everything and wondering, what the hell is going on here? I'm not just talking about Trump, although he is a facet. We get our own problems in Canada. Look at Trudeau and our leadership, and and the lack of mentorship around our, our youth, especially boys and men. Um, you know, and and we, you know, um, um, Robert Bly. I don't know if you've ever heard um, a gathering of men. Robert Bly is an eccentric poet. And he, he, he did this, this conversation called The Gathering of Men, and it was profound. And he also talks about that ceremony and stuff. But he says, or the lack of, you know, um, the killing of the boy and making the man. But he, he, he talked about this subject in a, in a way that our boys used to stand in the field with their father. And whether or not they were being taught through words or not, they had a, a, through osmosis, through just standing beside your father, you got food. I don't mean food from the mouth. Your cells were transferring information between bodies without conversation. Uh, Just a a leading and a mentorship. And then we, we took the father out of the field. And we sent him off to a 40- or 50-hour-a-week work, a work week. And then the impact of having the disconnection between man and his son and then the impact of the leader of the family, which is traditionally, I mean, in so many roles, in some roles it was the, the women and the mother as well, but in, in the way that the, the father went out to earn the dough – And then he came back tired and pissed off, and he doesn't have time for his kid now. And if he does have time for his kid, he's tired and pissed off. And the impact of that is our children now are mentored by gangs or inappropriate um, leaders, and we don't have that mentorship in what you guys refer to as the elders. They're gone. They're missing. And then we put women in the workplace. Now we've all got two jobs. What do you think are happening to our, to our daughters now? Just a lack of leadership. It's sad. I, I, think I don't there's know a, where your I, faith comes from, man. I think there's a lot of problems.
1: No, my faith comes from right in this moment. Like okay. We've got technology that converts the vibrations that are forming from the synapses in my neurons that is able to transfer and to exchange the signal into digital bases we've got working light that's powered by water falling off of a cliff Um, we ourselves you and i we both had very good smoothies today Uh, you got a smile on your face now and uh and so i mean there are problems but realistically i've traveled a bit and it's Enough to give me the perspective that Ontario is a very good place to live. Um, mm. In places that I've been, Ontario is fairly well governed. Uh, we have quite a lot of liberties to to act and behave. There's a lot of shit that I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of being part of a constitutional monarchy. Like uh, I'm just I'm. I'm American and Canadian, so when I see the Queen on the coin, I'm like, what's the deal? Um, There's British flags that fly alone in Canada. It's not a sovereign country here. It's very much attached to the monarchy of the Queen. So there's things that I'm not a fan of. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, I think that humanity does a lot of awesome. Does a lot of awesome things. And I think... That we have problems that are greater than ourselves can be a good thing in rallying people together. Um, this has always been my hope, or not always been my hope, uh, but has been my hope with uh, the emergent climate crisis and and that whole lens that is even looking at our environment around us and being like, oh, we need to change things to better live with this or else we're going to kill all these species so i i whether it's a misplaced faith and then you talk about the father well i believe in a metaphorical father i believe in a metaphorical mother that you say standing next to and is communicating to us through us moses is um always transferring and that's my understanding of what it means to have a belief in a higher power is that belief that that metaphorical father, or mother is with us and the communications that we get through our, our very um, nerve systems are part of that. Those are the signals that are telling us what what here, here, you want some higher knowledge, dig the nerve endings, because you're not making that happen. Just like dig what's happening in your nervous system and and listen up because that's coming from the the higher sources so i have a lot of belief in that and and i also i have a lot of belief in the problem-solving abilities that humans have there's there's been a lot of kind of rallying for science and i i i grew up as a science guy like uh, those were my strong subjects science and math and i have a strong appreciation for natural sciences um some of the predictive capabilities for the far-off future, they can be very poor. Um, the example I'll give is with the Ebola crisis in Africa. I had a friend who's very science-minded. He convinced me that we we're all going to have Ebola. Ebola? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he did the math. He showed me the fucking formulas where he's like he's like, This is how it's spreading. Exponential here, exponential there, it's gonna be over here in, in whatever time. And I was freaking out. I'm like, we're gonna all have Ebola. And then uh No, this is what, two years since? And like all the predictions that he relayed to me from the mathematical models weren't accurate. And I, I think we've come a long way with system science as far as uh, the the uh, predictive capabilities of measuring such a large system as the earth where there's so many different variables but I still don't think we're we're there, and then more so we can't predict how people are going to react and how how plants are going to react and how animals are going to react and so I, I do have a lot of faith in that in that respect, and if it if we I mean we are according to science in the sixth grade extinction. So there's uh, there's that uh, So there's been so many species that have been going extinct that it's dubbed the sixth grade extinction. Oh, the sixth. got oh, god. Extinction. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, sixth grade. Sixth grade. <laughs> it's because it's we're all six. acting like a fucking bunch of sixth so we've graders. we've got five extinctions got the, the, the school bully is in charge of everything, and we're basically on the playground right now. Uh, we, um,
0: so the theory is we've had five extinctions, and this great is, extinctions. Right. And, and so are we going to be the sixth?
1: This is. We're in the middle of it. Yeah, um, but as
0: humans, the, the subject of the extinction. Uh, I mean
1: uh, – They say that it's um, – I forget how it's termed but basically it's caused by humans. Oh. Um
0: so the So we'll kill off everything around us and we'll still be standing.
1: And yeah. we already are killing off <laughs> things mm-hmm. around us like like the oceans uh they've been overfished and then uh it, their competitors have have come in and taken the niches of the the fish that have been overfished. So so those fish are phew, dwindling uh, mm-hmm. to the point of endangerment. Um so so there's been a a lot of that happening like the jellyfish are taking over the ocean. Did you know that? No, but something just washed
0: up in Singapore or some uh Asian country. It's the largest sea creature they've ever uh and they're unable to identify it I'm wondering if it's a, a ray or a sea uh, uh it's a sea creature of some time, uh, kind but it's um washed up and and they don't they've never humans have never seen this thing before and they're they're claiming that it's only the size lends itself to a whale but we know so little about our oceans and so little about where we've actually come from as a as a race and you know it's it, it gives me hope to hear people talk like there is hope and that we will get it and that we can come together and I'm constantly being reminded, uh, I, I have to remind myself all the time uh, because it's not in my nature because, you know, one of, one of the lies I tell myself is is I, I hate people. Uh, you know, I, I really hate the way humans operate sometimes. It's easy to hate on people. I, I, I dislike some people. I don't even know why. And I think that's a failing in most human, human uh, communication and in, in, in their thinking. Just admit it. I mean, the we're, fucking, we're we're designed yeah. to hate and to fear strange people, different colored skins, different sexual orientations, and stuff like that. So I really have to, you know, I I keep reminding people all the time. You know what? We're only put on this this earth for one purpose. And amongst all the greed and the egocentric, uh, uh, egocentric nature of human beings, um, and money being being you know, the rule of the day and. You know, we stopped growing our own food and we put them in these boxes and locked the the food up. And the only way you can get the food is by, you know, exchanging it for money that you have to go. And the only way you get money is if you're, you know, well enough and educated enough and fortunate enough to find a job. And, And so we lock up the food. And I just think to myself, this is a shit show. And then we've got we're approaching seven billion people on the planet. I know overpopulation. It's you know it's another myth or whatever. But at some this is a finite planet, and you know I don't think we're going to go op- occupy other planets. Maybe that's just my, my myopic nature. But thinking, but I constantly have to remind myself, people are good, and I also have to remind myself and the people around me a lot of times. Not that it makes a difference or that I, you know I'm not a preacher or anything, but. We're here for one purpose—to love each other, to take care of each other.
1: Oh, I did not. To expect further that to be our, our conclusion own. of what yeah. you were saying. Well, I mean, it's true. I thought man. it was going to be like to fuck. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> oh, I
0: don't. I mean, that's a we have to procreate too. And uh, but I really, I really, truly believe that we've lost sight of our purpose, which is to help our neighbor, man, to love your brother, and more importantly, your brother is your enemy, and that's what I mean. And I am trying on a very deep level to love on trump uh first of all i i can't i can't see south of the border and get enraged about this narcissistic personality uh i mean he does tweak me here and there especially when i hear the carpet bombings and and he's destroying the epa and all, all these all these you know very good things uh, but I can't look south of the border because I am so concerned with the graft and corruption that's right here in the city of St. Catharines and the region of Niagara. That's what I'm passionate about right now. And I constantly have to go back to the whole idea, love your enemy. Here's the – and I've said this on other podcasts before, uh, so I'm repeating myself a little bit. But Trump, the Trump experiment has really got me present to one thing. When you're a narcissistic, intolerant bigot, hate-filled bigot, and you broadcast that out to the masses, the intolerant, racist bigots will give it right back to you. Except those intolerant, racist bigot pigs don't consider themselves to be like Trump at all. They think they're different. But what they're doing back to him is they're giving exactly what he's given to them back to them. So I'm trying to... Be above that and and to shift the paradigm to a point where, fuck that. I'm just going to love on the guy. He's human just like me, and I suffer narcissism just like uh, narcissistic personality disorder, just like he does. Because, I mean, we all have, we're all in a spectrum somewhere. We all get a little OCD. We're all a little depressed. We're all some more than others. And I think he's a fine example but I've known some narcissistic personalities and they're dangerous and and highly toxic and I've never seen any studies on anything or any advice written by any doctor or any layman that says anything other than run away you'll never you'll never fix them they're not enlightened enough to get it there's no medication to for narcissistic personality disorder so I think the whole Trump experiment has really given me a lesson in love your enemy Because he's fucking nuts. But I will not be Madonna. I will not go, and God bless the women. March all you want. But there's a fucking election. The guy won. Fuck off. He beat the, he, 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 he won under a system that everybody knew and Hillary, didn't win so shut up and and then we get madonna god bless her I, I used to love madonna but don't stand up in the front of the million woman march and tell me that you dream about Well, thanks for your vulnerability and your honesty don't get up there and say i think about bombing the president the white house every day that's fine you're just doing what he's done so i think you're this has
1: been up the violent and the yeah hatred and, and that's and, the the and,
0: re- rhetoric it's just disgusting and i want to be above that and i just want to i just want to Try and love on them somehow, because I, you know, and this sounds like you know, I hate using the word hippie, especially on you guys, because it's, you know, I think that some, some of you guys take it offensively. I love the idea—peace, so love, love, and Peace, love, and Yeah, whatever you call it. What's so it. funny? Yeah, yeah. and uh, so I think, you know, and it goes back to that question of faith. And I'm glad to hear you having that faith, especially in this moment. And it's easy in the moment in the cellar right now, or we had a great power drink with. Uh, hemp oil fueled and thank you nature's hemp for being the only sponsor on the show as i uh, really switch gears now as far as um promoting myself um don't call me for hemp oil please you, uh, but
1: you're not promoting yourself you're promoting nature's hemp oh
0: yes please eat hemp oil every day man it changed your life forever and uh hey, it's a so, good so i'm really i'm really i'm honored and i'm glad to hear you speaking in a, in a way that is something i want to believe in and that's what faith is it's belief without proof, and I want to believe, and I want to have faith that humans will come together and love each other and get it right and end war and have uh, peace on earth. But I, I'm—I
1: don't define faith in that manner. Um, I define faith is whatever's at the center of our value system. Whatever we value the most is what we have faith in. That's—that's um, that's a definition that was given by a theologian, Paul Tillich. But that, the way that it's put that way, it's we all have faith in something. Um, a lot of people have faith in the monetary system, or have had faith in the monetary system. Um, I think that there's a crisis of faith there right now. But I think a mathematician they have faith in the 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 power of numbers. Or so I think yeast has faith in sugar. Uh, <laughs> And it turns it to alcohol. Yeah. Um, so so I dig it that way. Like f- the invisibility of faith, mm, not so much. Because I'm not looking at a higher power as something that's invisible to me. It's the very thing that is is making vision capable. It is the light. The only reason we can see each other is the light between us. Um like that is a higher it's something that's out of our control that gives the ability to even envision each other so so I, I don't look at it that way i dig the i dig trying to throw love at the the enemy at at our enemies i think that's the only way to to maintain our own integrity and walk forward with people um i don't see it ending well if we put ourselves against one another um, which
0: we've been doing since the beginning of time so where does that paradigm well, shift come from
1: see we have been doing that for the, yeah um like it's but, our, but war we've is also, in our nature right we've also uh, been uh simultaneously working together in greater and greater um quantities so How, where's your proof of that? How do you see Well, that? If, if you imagine that we came from tribal systems, we, right. we were working together within very small communities. Right. And then we and prob- our nature we prob- was
0: when we rolled up against a different tribe, we right. tried to exterminate them. Yeah,
1: and war has spread a lot of unity um, in like the, the kingdom of Alexander, the kingdoms of the Chinese right. dynasty. Um, and, but through each one, there's been greater and greater numbers of people working together
0: collaborations after war.
1: Um, for So I guess the proof of that would be uh, in the pudding, like that we're now working in global systems. There are factions that work against each other within that. There's no doubt about that. Um, but so at the same time that we have combated each other, we also work together in greater numbers. Um, I was hearing somebody talking about uh, solidarity groups, and talking about like nation states and governments as solidarity groups, and and saying that what happened in Greece when there was a collapse there was that the 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 country stopped funding and, and the social systems that were in place to take care of people. So stuff like healthcare and stuff like that. So so they went back to the original solidarity groups, which is like family, fam, familial. Um, but you, you kind of, you demarcated things through, like, race and maybe gender or whatever. But, like, a lot of the times, I feel like even other Ontarians aren't part of my solidarity group. Like, I, I guess I, I'm not a big uh, patriot in that way. But I I also think it might be a symptom of something greater, like talking about that w- the way i interpret it was like the wall that we put up between one another i I think of it as like the wall of fuck you where it's like (laughs) you know we're taught to love our neighbor but a lot of people who see a stranger just kind of like if i don't know you 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 part you behind the wall of fuck you
0: and that is something again i've talked about on other shows but I think that's the missing part of the conversation, and we've talked about Trump a little bit, and we talked about intolerance and hate and bigotry and and, uh, narcissism and this egocentric nature that humans typically have had forever. It's all about us. Well, Well, I shouldn't say that, and it wasn't always about us, because back in the days where we had communities, we all had to take care of each other.
1: And I want to jam with you, that's why I appreciate you saying that taking taking uh, account for your own narcissism and I can resonate that I have a narcissistic quality as well but if you look at the classical definition of narcissism it's narcissist who is looking at his image in the in the pond now what do we see through these social media mm. extensions is it's like the era of the selfie there's this prevalence of people looking at their own image in the pond it's right. it's not just Oh that guy's a narcissist. There's a whole culture of selfieism. It's like looking at yourself and taking pictures of yourself and and like if that's not classically on point with who, who narcissist was, then I don't know what is. Right. So so I think that's a symptom or an, um yeah, that's a symptom of, of a narcissistic culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump was always, when I was growing up, he was the archetype of a rich man. Right. And everybody wanted to be a rich man. Mm-hmm. And like that, That's the uh, faith system that's been in place in the value that. system. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you want to be like Trump because Trump has money. He's a... He's a, he was a millionaire back in the day. He's a billionaire now. And I was like nine years old. I grew up in the States. And it was like Trump. That's who you used as Donald Trump is, is your rich guy mm-hmm. archetype. He's like Richie Rich. And, and, uh, and now it's like, yeah. all right, well, we, <laughs> we lost faith in our politicians. Um, and like, which, oh, my God, it kills me that, that, that she didn't get in. It's like she was the most qualified political candidate ever. She was the most qualified. It's the ultimate example of workplace sexism. It was like she was applying as the most qualified candidate ever, and then this guy. I
0: respectfully disagree with you there, but you know, before she wasn't elected, I predicted Trump's win softly and not often Uh, before the day before the election. I remember I got my water from a girl, and I said, "Wait till you wake up tomorrow and see Trump's the president." I I never imagined that, you know, I'd be that accurate. Um, My take before she lost was, can you actually believe that Americans are less racist than they are sexist? (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that, like Hillary had yes, she was connected, she was bright, she was also corrupt. Totally. And, and... You know, I was a Bernie guy, but Bernie got smoked by the DNC, including Hillary's camp. And now we've got Trump, and I wonder if anyone in the DNC is looking back, and or you know, uh, uh, the Democratic Party looking back at at that and going, "Oh fuck, we put Trump in the office, we put Trump in yeah. in, in, in there." Yeah. And and I. I was like, really? Because classically, you think that Americans are racist. It's like some of the most racist people in the world. But I guess it's it's common. And that's uh, I'll circle back to this afterward, the missing conversation about the Trump piece. But I remember saying, yeah, do you think that sexism is actually more prevalent in the states than racism and in in the classically most racist country in the world? One of them. And going back, circling back to this conversation about Trump, too. So I'll finish my thought on this is. I think the missing part of the conversation is is that we're all racist, racist bigot, intolerant assholes. It's hard work to be um, accepting and loving of a man with a different color skin or an accent or a different sexual orientation. Or forget that. Even if you don't know anything, maybe he's just handsomely flamboyant with. Feminine tendencies, and you look at him, you go, it's like walking down the street and double checking to see if your car is locked because there's a black guy. And we don't have this much in Niagara, but I mean, using a hypothetical situation in the big cities, yeah, racism it comes very naturally. So does hate. So does intolerance. But, and it's hard work to be acceptance, accepting. It's hard work to be lo- like, we're not all Mother Teresa's, and yeah. even. Even I'm sure she had hate in her heart. We're not, we can't all be Pope's and all these. You know, you see these classic images of the Jesus-like people that you you want to be more like them. But when you leave the house and you look at someone, you go, "Oh, you're a fucking." You, you feel this this judgment and this ego and pride. And I think the missing part of the conversation is is we're born into it. It's in our DNA. It's a it's a survival mechanism. To be race, to be a racist, racist, intolerant bigot, and we we've come a lot. Well, we've come a long way, and we've come not so far, and we've got a long way to go in women's rights and equality and and um, e- e- just e- equality for everyone. A sexual orientation. I mean, we, we look at segregation in the states, apartheid in Africa. I mean, we've come a long way, but have we really? And we've got a long way to go. But. I believe that the missing part of the conversation should be, and I think it needs to be inserted into all our conversations, is naturally, I'm an intolerant asshole. And it's hard work to be loyal to your wife. It's hard work to be accepting of the guy with a different color of skin, with a sexual orientation. And until we admit that we all come from the same place and we all have hate deeply ingrained into our DNA, and it's hard work to
1: overcome it, I think, we just stay the way we are we all come from our mothers ultimately right um happy mother's day almost um see I, i don't i don't i think that it is a part of our nature that we are immersed in the cultural patterns that have been naturally propagating through society and that that we integrate those those things into our psychology when we become a part of a greater greater culture of society. Um, I don't think it's a n- necessary thing. I don't think it's necessary and a necessary part of our nature that I mean, if you look at kids the way they interact, they don't True. They don't have those same judgments. But those kids people, also
0: didn't have to defend the family or hunt for food or you know, protect their wife or so and, and many much of that racism and bigotry also can be learned i'm not saying it's not a Rhett, product of your environment Rhett, you can be taught to be a racist asshole but i'm
1: saying yeah, i i i think i think you've got a point there like as far as the uh the way that tribalism has been handed down and the the roots of being protective from strangers from others from from people that we don't know because we can perceive threats there but we can also um come to a point where we feel like it's a more of a protective act to be able to love and tolerate people um hey, and man, that's and,
0: such a profound statement right there just say that one more time
1: it can be more of a protective act to love and tolerate people wow if, if we trust be like and it's it's tough to believe this but like if we and practice right and the practice trust in that way where if if we trust someone they're probably less likely to steal from us they're probably less likely to do that but i you know now i'm going down that road and being like 90 <laughs> percent of murders are people that were boyfriend girlfriend or whatever yeah, you know what i mean so people that were at one point trustworthy um Should we smoke? (laughs) Should we smoke those flowers?
0: (laughs) CB's brain just went for a fart now. He wants to be cut loose from the the (laughs) obligation and the the responsibility of just just hanging around a mic and just talking. Yeah,
1: I went from uh, (laughs) it can be more protective to be tolerant and loving of others to should we smoke those flowers? (laughs) Jim, this is a lot, man. We need to.
0: Yeah, well, go deep, man, and uh, I really appreciate the conversation because um, one thing I appreciate about it is, like, I don't have Bell Canada breathing down my, I don't have management, I don't have a commercial to hit, I don't have weather, I don't have traffic, I've got nothing. All I got is just to talk with a buddy, and it's easy, and I know it's hard to forget about the microphones, and and we'll turn off the mics, and we'll go upstairs, and we'll have a very different conversation, but as as close as possible, I'm trying to get this to be just a hang. Just a conversation, just where, hey, you say what you say, and we're we're not gonna we're not gonna practice hate speech or or um, or, or um, anything else like that. But it's you know, and we're alive you know, we're not gonna slander anyone or libel anyone or something like that. So we'll watch our tongues, but we've got a a, a greater latitude here. But what I wanted it to be is just a free flowing conversation where you can let it all hang out and and. You know, we were talking about float tanks the other day. I wouldn't know shit about a float tank if it wasn't for Rogan, like the Century Deprivation Tanks. He's got a couple oh, in, in okay, Niagara yeah, Falls. Yeah. You can go float in a saline oh, yeah, pool yeah. and lock yourself in a dead quiet, dark space and float, like, like in the salt water because you're buoyant as hell, right? I just, I'm, I wouldn't know. He's got his own float tank, right? And I, I wouldn't recommend that. You know, you go floating by yourself. What happens if you get the, can't get the tank open again? But I, I, I just so badly want to want to try this and I wouldn't have known about if it wasn't for Rogan show. So, and I know just, the ego speaks to me sometimes. I'm not suggesting that we're going to have a conversation here that thousands of people are going to go, Oh, wow. Did you hear what CD said? But you never know. You never know. And and, and I always love talking about the unacknowledged impact because As a musician and as a performer myself, both, you know, doing this or or being a politician on stage. We are all present to how meaningful it is when someone comes up to us and says, hey, you were awesome. Well done. Good job. That that pads your ego that makes you feel good um, and and you feel like you made a difference. And I think we're all here. We all want to make our our impact. We want to make a difference. And, And and that's what I constantly remind you artists. Uh, one, I mean, I, I love Aaron Berger when he came up with Praise Master. I don't know if he's ever called anyone that before, but I, I love it, and I accept it. Um, I go out of my way to stay conscious and, and remember that it's important to even like guys like you that I know and love and have for uh, you know many years now and have have grown a relationship with it, to come up and say, hey, wow, you nailed it tonight nice job or hey um you know this uh love in the wasteland really meant something to me and what the fuck's up with lucy why she doing the mailman downstairs while you're upstairs uh loving the wasteland so and and it's that i think there's far more unacknowledged impacts And, and if we could somehow get inside of the belief that our shitty little podcast here and our shitty little conversation actually is touching someone and making a difference for someone. And you might not have that person come up to you and say, hey, I listened to you and CD talk in that podcast and it changed my life. That might never, ever happen. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that that conversation didn't have an impact. So I always try and one, uh, give you guys props and praise because you, you're wildly talented and I know talent, you know, Um I know what a shitty song and a shitty band sounds like. I also know what a, what a well-performed song and, and well-written song sounds like. So I think it's important uh, to give you that props uh, and then at the same time open you up like a can opener almost to the possibility that, even if you're not getting the verbal acknowledgement that it's still impacting someone and you're making a difference with your music. I think that's a hard concept to grasp and believe in and have faith in.
1: So that's where my my
0: motivation comes from.
1: Right on. Right on. Um, Yeah, the times that uh, I've been offered acknowledgement and appreciation, they they mean the world. They mean a lot. Like a lot of the times as a songwriter, uh, that has been currency a form of currency and, and knowing that i've uh, served served the world served humanity in a in in a way and it it it's great to get that feedback
0: amen to that josh mills just called me while i was uh while we were talking i sent him in to ignore and then i uh texting him. He says, what's up? Call me later. Enjoy.
1: Clifton Hill Nights. Yeah. yeah. yeah listen, you know, uh,
0: you know uh, music, it's so important to me. It was always in my family. It was uh, our house. i thank God for my parents, you know, for the time that they spent together. And And for the upbringing that I had, there was always music in the house. And and, you know what? Now that I think about it, I've been thinking about this for a couple months now. I've been playing around with fucking microphones, pretending to be a DJ since eight or nine years old with my cousin at Two's Place in St. Catharines for a long time. And I never really thought, hey, shit, I've been training a long time for this job. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So we get mills down here too, but uh, and then uh, there's been such a for me there's been such a void left in the local media, and uh, you know my time at the station was uh, is just such a great experience. Well, I mean six ten because I worked at a couple stations, or actually I bought time on CHSC. It was four hundred bucks a week back in the day. Rob Hubbard sold me my first show up Robbie <laughs> and he's not listening but he was uh, working with CHSC back in the day he's the funeral director at and English downtown and he was doing a sports talk show and he I think he was getting paid commission to sell shows and he sold me a $400 a week show and, and I did a real estate show and uh, I, I can't remember how long I did the real estate show before like I get mentored and I got brought on slowly and trained and, and then I went solo and I did my own thing and then it bored the shit out of me. Who wants to talk about real estate? Like seriously? You can only talk to so many lawyers, building inspectors and staging companies before you're like, fucking who cares? So then it became the Jim Fannin show from the real estate show. And then I started talking politics. I loved it. I had Stephen Harper on my show from an airport in, Ch- in uh, Calgary during his... Uh, Leadership campaign for the conserv the newly formed Conservative Party of Canada after they went from the Progressive Conservatives and the Reform Party merged into the new Conservative Party. Jack Layton set him up, kind of sandbagged him a little bit, and he kind of told a lie, and we caught him on it on the show. And but, anyways, my my time at six ten was it just got really connected to local politics and politics in general. And just anyone used to, everyone used to say to me, well, what do you talk about on your show? I'm like, whatever I want. Well, wow, that's pretty cool. That was very cool. But now, since I've left, not because of, but since I've left the station, well, I had a high level of local content on there. And then they started simulcasting in in London. And then suddenly, suddenly there's no local content coming out of 610 for a call in radio and that's hey that's uh, that's how i got on 610 as a host by being a caller for yeah traditionally provincial and federal issues but then i got turned on to the local issues and like who's got time to think about the the country and the province when we got so much bullshit going on in our own backyard in st catherine so we talked about some of that earlier we can get into it later if you want but um but, but now well, 610 has left this, this huge void and um The standard's got its favorites, both for targets and for, you know, supporting their, you know, slanted articles and opinion pieces and stuff like this that are targeting some people and and benefiting others. And then negative negative this week does a good job, but they're they're not a daily either, you know, as far as, you know, the printed product. So I just find in this huge void of local issues. And if I can help bridge that gap a little bit, um, you know, we're not really set up for call calling radio and we don't have all that, you know, a huge listener base yet because it's a new show and, you know, I'm coming from nothing basically, but the time really gave me some great experience and, and the, and the ability to see that, holy shit, it matters and it's gone and that matters. And so if we can, you know, my hope is to start getting some local politicians in here so we can talk some local issues and and create a, a conversation. conversation yeah okay. because no one's really starting it now and i think that's what you know local media should be doing and especially radio because then you've got the instant reaction call-in right hmm. that you don't have in the paper industry or even in television it's a it's a unique medium and it's a medium that's struggling
1: hmm.
0: like all traditional mediums are, are struggling right now as, as far as traditional broadcast mediums and uh I wonder why. I'm like you know, it's not a wise decision to just go away from the local content. Ah, you know, there are excuses that they're simulcasting in London. London does, you know, London doesn't want to be overrun with St. Catherine's Nagar issues. I get it, but come on, to what extent? So now you're gonna and I complained on on the air the other day for my one of my calls, and uh, the host Tom said, uh, "Oh well, talk about not listening. We haven't done that for three years." Three years is a long time to take local content out of a call-in radio show. And what do you think I don't call in for anymore? <laughs>
1: yeah. You brought up uh, NPCA. Uh, I'm interested to hear what your take uh, on that is. Mm. If
0: Nothing grinds my gears more than um, favoritism. What do they call that? Nepotism? Is that when you um,
1: It's when the people who are your friends and get the jobs. family get the jobs. Fuck that noise. Yeah. And there's
0: so much of that shit going on.
1: Well. Yeah. So
0: the you know, I've got the bridge report. I leaked the bridge report. It's a 85-page uh, report that Deloitte did. And there was th- the idea was is that they were going to Find out why the bridge went to 100 million from 50 million. Well, it was originally 35 million, but uh, we knew we were going to weren't going to get it for that. And the bridge report um, was more accurate at pointing out the failings in the in the uh, tendering process and the hiring HR processes. So. Some of the bids were, um, uh, sorry, some of the, the contracts that went out were, uh, let's say, $200,000 contract. But anything over 10000 needs an RFP, so you have to tender it,
1: which means that your buddy won't get the job. Maybe. It, mean, it means that other people have an opportunity to bid on
0: it. Right. Lowest bid gets the job, and it also means that your favorite buddy, vendor, contractor that's been doing the jobs for the region for a long time might not get the job. So if we cut the job up into twenty ten dollars $10,000 jobs, well, there's no problem. We don't have to tender it. That's fucked. Mm. That's bullshit. Mm. And you know what happens to sole source jobs. Like the contracts that go out in sole source, you just say, okay, well, you get the contract and you don't interview anyone else. It's a way more expensive job. And it's the taxpayers paying. It.
1: Across the board.
0: So the nepotism and, and well, there's nothing that drives me crazier. Than seeing a guy that um, sits on a board as a director and takes a leave from that board to write the terms of reference for CEO for that same like he's on the board, but now he's gonna he's gonna write the terms of reference for how they're gonna hire the main guy, the CEO. You take a leave of absence. Terms
1: of reference and not, not oh, the hiring with that. Okay, so, so uh, these are the qualifications. Yes. Okay. This
0: is this is how we're gonna assess value to the next CEO. So a sitting board or director for the same agency <laughs> takes a leave of absence to write the terms of the terms of reference, the hiring process, you know, for the CEO and then is hired as the CEO.
1: He wrote his job description.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and people can't get why this is fucked up. And the guy sits there every three weeks at the Niagara region. Well, he's the head of the... Yeah, he was a... Uh, NPCA is a director of... I don't know. I can't remember. Carmen D'Angelo. Anyways, now he's the CEO of the Niagara region.
1: So he, he wrote the... It, well... Um, just back up a step he wrote the he was the one who wrote the job description that he stepped into i
0: can't remember exactly how it went down now carmen was yes he wrote the he was a bo- he was a director and i don't know maybe I, i'll have a uh, seasoned assist in the mailbox tomorrow after this show maybe the way i understand it i'm going from memory now he was he was a board of director for the NPCA. he took a leave to write the terms t- to his company, um, wrote basically the terms of reference for the, the how the CEO was going to be hired. And then he was hired as a CEO. And then he went from there to the CEO of uh, the region.
1: So it's, 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 it's an it's inside how, game. How man. did that happen? Um, this is It would be good to have a fact checker on board. Yeah, um, exactly. Just for these reasons. Yeah. Um, like all I know, my perspective on it is that I caught wind that they were trying to shop biodiversity biodivers- offsetting, which is this practice of being able to trade biodiverse regions. Um, and in this case, it was under provincially mandated protection. So legislated to be protected. So they were shopping this idea of being able to trade something that they were supposed to be protecting and offset it, um, basically try to create the same value that it had. So that's when it came to my attention. And it came to a lot of people's attention because that's the very opposite thing that the... Peninsula conservation authority is mandated to do that's the that's the opposite of their job like they're they're hired to protect the provincially mandated areas to be protected there's so much
0: bullshit going on in the region and the cities right well all the cities we got twelve cities plus the region so three thirteen uh councils and it's a shit show everywhere. It's unbelievable what these guys fucking spend their time talking about, and so the most hated politician in Niagara, Andy Petrowski, is making the headlines all the time because he's stand, He's one of the few guys, and hey, I don't believe I'm not an Andy Petrowski supporter. Like, on we not I don't see politics like Andy Petrowski does. He's mostly a a right leaning um, conservative. I'm a left leaning, uh, you know, green. Um, but Andy has been so far a guy that says, fuck you, this ain't right, this stinks, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot my mouth off. The status quo is not okay, and I, I kind of fall into that camp too. I mean, I've been thrown off the odd board too for a questioning process and questioning what do you mean this is the way it's done. Where's the policy? We don't have one. Well, maybe we need one. You're fired. That's bullshit. And so um, there's so much corruption going on at every level. And these boards and these councils and these mayors and these chairs are, um, I I don't know how to describe them, Um, politically motivated, financially motivated, inexperienced at the impact of what the stuff and, and in it for themselves. You know, they're not there for the best of the region and the best of whatever. So we've been talking to integrity commissioners and, uh, and NPCA. NPCA is a shit show. It's, an, uh, it's a uh, provin- it, provincially appointed body.
1: Can we tie this back to the laissez-faire attitude and maybe how it's a symptom of, of our culture, of the way we operate? So yeah. for the NPCA – Incredibly frustrating. Would, and talk would,
0: about like that when you say what if I can get your wild up? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, Nepotism. Man. Yeah, there's, there's when that. When you get a
0: job that you don't deserve, and maybe it's the envy part of me, because I think uh, like m- much of what I hate about myself is, is based in ego, pride, and judgment. I can't seem to get rid of it. Mm. I think it's stuck in me, mm. um, especially the judgment. Like, But there's ego and there's pride there to different levels and stuff like that. And I think maybe that's a little bit of the envy comes out in me. What do you mean you got a $300,000 job? And you 've never done shit your resume's fucking junk you you got a point to a board or you ran into some fucking board you've ne- you know like I think that's a part of me that goes you know what i'm busting my ass over here trying to be a good guy and i'm I'm going fucking nowhere and you get, what because you know the right fucking people you get the, you get the plums I think there's a little bit of that there but there's nothing that grinds me that's not fair that means somebody that actually deserves that job and it's not me. Uh, it could be maybe in some fields, but that means that somebody that's actually got some talent and is worthy of the paycheck doesn't get the job because you're there. So, yeah, I don't know how you tie it all back, but there is a definite apathy and a lack of responsibility, both personally, personally, politically, financially. Like I mean, we're humans in these days. I don't think, and this is a blanket statement, but I don't think humans are are good at taking per- personal responsibility anymore. Like, you were on time today, and and you even, before you came, you even said, hey, I'm leaving now, I might be a couple minutes late. That's that's integrity. So then if you're a couple minutes later, late at all, at least I'm not fucking waiting at the door with my tail wagging because you said 1 o'clock, I'm looking for you out the window at 1 o'clock. That's what a good host does. He's ready when his fucking people show
1: up. We operated with respect.
0: Yeah, to- and I'm not going to be fucking sitting at the door for a half an hour with my tail wag- It doesn't wag for... More than twelve minutes. More than two minutes now. If you're late, you're late. You're L A T E man. Don't fucking disrespect me like that. But you know how some people just go, Oh, I'm late for everything. Well fuck you. You can't be my friend then because I don't, that's not cool. You know what I mean? I'm blowing my mind now. <laughs> yes. Where are we going? You well, take me so see? <laughs> that's not
1: that's not with respect to the agreement. So I mean Yeah. Uh, that's that's respect. That's personal responsibility and it's it's it's, it's, it's my kids, my whatever.
0: No, fuck. You know why you were late? Because it didn't matter for you to be on time. You didn't. You didn't make it it important. Yeah, you didn't make it important. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if there was a million bucks here for you at one o'clock
1: and you'd value it. You'd be, you'd be here at 1230 there. just yeah. to
0: make sure the car didn't break down and the kids didn't in the traffic and the funeral and your boss and all this bullshit. People show up. All they got is excuses. That's shitty, man. So I think, yeah, it is a way that our culture has been distracted by these gadgets. and And, and, and our hope has been killed from the standpoint, like, it doesn't matter because our votes don't fucking matter. Really. You, you know, the Prime Minister's party prime minister is not elected we all know that um we don't vote for the prime minister but the the reigning leader of the country often gets 35 37 percent of the popular vote how the fuck is that just so 63 percent of the people are out there i didn't vote for that party or that guy and i i'm getting fucked over here so i think how do you ever feel like you can change with one vote with when one
1: vote. yeah see so, yeah, i it's a great I, theory. I I tend Every to, I counts, tend to agree with you. Like I, I view it that we more so live in a corporatocracy. Um, you talk about municipal politics and the way that I've seen work, it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So people who are talking to the, the policy makers, talking to the decision makers, or even talking to the building department. If you if you have a um, if you have a bunch of gravel on your street and you want it cleaned up, the best thing to do is to call the people who clean up the gravel on your street. That's how you change that. And there's a lot of departments that are available in that way. Um, I mean, it's a lot on the bureaucratic level, but they require somebody to to actually talk about it, to to call in. Um, Well, the first thing I think of when you say
0: that is the... The squeaky wheel, is that what you call it?
1: Yeah, it's like when... Yeah, the if, squeaky if you gotta, wheel
0: is the guy with the most money.
1: Right. So ah. this is this is where the corporatocracy comes in, where the corporation can afford to actually hire someone where their job is to be mm-hmm. the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. We're going to hire you to be the squeaky wheel, and this is how the grease is going to come our way. We're going to make it continually easier. And, you know, a lot of this stuff that that is used to be the squeaky wheel is uh it's subsidized through the taxation system exactly. it's like so we how can go for a fish? meal and i'm the guy who's the squeaky wheel and then and then what what i'm using to to get the grease is uh is subsidized oh that's a write-off to have half of your your meal expense and and it's like okay so basically in effect if each time the squeaky wheel goes to the politician, that's a vote. That's a vote for policy. Then there's a lot of votes coming mm-hmm. from, from squeaky wheels. <laughs> squeaky so wheel is. How do
0: you maintain how do you maintain hope in a system that one elects leaders like that? To- I don't think
1: people have hope. You talk about faith in humanity. <laughs> I don't think people have hope in this the form of that's democracy. What I mean. and, and that ties back like that is why a career politician like Clinton didn't get in is because people are so mistrustful of the the uh, political right. The form of va- political value that's in place. And they're like, mm-hmm. ah, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't want that. I don't I don't I don't get it. And like, that's where I feel like uh, this NPCA. Action is connected to the laissez-faire attitude, and the way that it's connected is through that money trail, where there's a billion-dollar offer in a certain plot acreage to the politician. So there's that that oh, that, that jewel thing was
0: born in the falls, though. That, that was a trade mission yeah, to China yeah. by Jimmy. Yeah, D.
1: exactly. And it, and so there's this billion dollars. That's uh-huh. the that's the chase. That's the value. That's yeah. what we're. That's what they're responsible to. So, they come to an area that's uh, mandated by legislation, like the law. The law is, is what we're supposed they call it to a respect. Provincially
0: we're, significant wetland for a reason.
1: <laughs> because, it's, because it's by law protected mm-hmm. by the province. Right. And so it comes to a head where there's the value of a billion dollars or there's the value of law. Now, they were looking to trade away law. For a billion dollars. When you trade away law for a billion dollars, you're saying the whole legal system is equal to that. This is the value of that. And, it, and it, the billion, they're trying to say the billion dollars is for everyone. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I can understand that there is a form of justification, but the form of justification is inborn in this uh, invisible hand notion now there are justifications why not to do it now one of them is showing itself i believe in the form of the higher water levels in in lake ontario well that's the function of that land is to actually it, it holds water yes, it, the burden. It, it mitigates the the water level it doesn't contribute so, to runoff right and so it's got this innate value in the natural system and I, and I think a lot of people are of the school of thought that now is the time to give respect to mm-hmm. those roles Amen. of nature. And, Preach, man. And,
0: Preach, CD. <laughs> <laughs> so um, true, man. I I,
1: be, I believe it to be true. And and so so how long do we let that billion dollars mean that much to us? And how long... Do we let the billion dollars buy the law? Because that's what's happening. Through
0: this is the Samsung deals with the green energy.
1: Samsung deals. There's a crazy anecdote about in Ontario, they legislated to have uh, green energy in, like, mm-hmm. subsidized by the government because we're like, this is a social good. It's good if if we're not killing ourselves. They find a way to. Lung cancer. Send the money to their friends every time. I don't know about – yeah, I mean, this is, this is what kills me with that. The Ante- anecdote is that people moved to Ontario to start green energy companies, people from Italy. Um, they moved here to start that. And then it was the world trade courts that challenged the law in Ontario, saying basically you can't legislate to favor your own people. Um, you have to only legislate to be equal among um, trade people. Well, that might be
0: true. But anywhere that public power is, well, you have to keep the power public. You can't sell the contracts to well, private corporations. Like, yeah, fuck.
1: exactly. Corporations, they're not publicly accountable to – No. They're not publicly accountable like in a real way. So
0: I think it all is coming back to that question of personal responsibility, what'd you call it? Tying? what were we tying this whole conversation into again?
1: To the laissez faire? Yeah. Now, let's explain that so expand on laissez-faire that. Laissez faire it means bit. basically do I what I want. F- oh right. Um so we're talking about doing what you want if if I were to be but late. I always
0: thought laissez faire was like uh who gives a fuck? Like I'm yeah, just fucking you know, think, I, I think, don't think, care. Yeah, that's like, a, pff, uh there's no impact
1: it's got that connotation right okay. it's it's do what it want it's it was used to describe the capitalist system that leads to less and less regulations um, so it's basically anything goes okay mentality mm-hmm. and so with the anything goes there's also that strong like urge if I want it to happen, it should happen because it's <laughs> anything goes you know and and then and then uh, you don't have to respect. Agreeing to be here at one, mm. I don't have to be. I don't have to be here at one because it's anything goes. Um, and then in that process, so
0: where does that lack of integrity? Where is that? Like, I don't think we've always been this way. I just think you know, we're we're not at a crisis point, but it's almost like a, it's like a, this is a, a fatal flaw of humans right now, and we're all suffering. It's like the death of God. Well, what the fuck do you think was going to happen? Your society is built on a higher power. All the laws and all the beliefs are all centered around, a, like, mostly a Christian God. And then God dies, and then what the fuck do you think
1: happens? Like,
0: is not that Nietzsche, wasn't he the guy
1: that said he, he's, God he, is dead? Well, he had his madman run through town proclaiming that God is dead. And um, so... Now we have our madmen proclaiming that capitalism is dead. So, when a system of values goes down, something must emerge to replace it. I believe that to be like physics: if if uh, if something is falling in the air, um, it displaces air, and then the air takes the place of where mm. that that thing was. So, we've we've been under the divine right of capital. Basically, the higher power is capital. It's the the demarcated notes of currency, and um, we've worshipped that. Like I, there's this idea in Jungian psychology that the archetype of what's important to a culture is denoted by the highest buildings. So if the huh. bank building is the highest building, which it is in what most cities,
0: comparison, yeah, it
1: it shows what we value. Like if you go life insurance. Yeah, life insurance, the banks, Thanks. even like the, the symbol of Canada is CN, Canadian National, which is the railway company. And that is really what connected Canada as a corporate body. Like that's what made it economically possible for um, the European uh, colony to come into shape, like follow that rail line. And that's the, the highest building in Toronto the Canadian National Building. So so I mean I there's there's a book called The Divine Right of Capital, which is a really good read. And who's that? Um I, I forget the author's name. Oh, we're checking out. Uh check it out. Oh it's
0: check checking out right
1: now. Okay, cool. She makes she makes the analogy of the divine right of capital and our obligation to gain independence from that. She makes an analogy to the American proclamation of independence, declaration of of independence. So basically we've got taxation without representation um, where the the corporations are using the public good and the common, the public is not um, represented in that.
0: And there was ten protesters when uh, D'Angelo was hired as CEO at the Niagara Region from his job at the MPCA that he got by. Yeah. Anyway. I think. So, yeah, there's ten I, protesters. So, yeah, that, I, I mean, th- these are the people that are educated and actually care. The,
1: the demonstrators. Dem- yeah. See, I like demonstrator better. I think protest has been bastardized. I and think that word think? has been bastardized. Demonstration is the root of democracy. Where people. Um, stand up for something that is the squeaky wheel. That's squeaky wheelness. So there need to be demonstrators. Divine Right of Capital by Marjorie Kelly. Kelly. Um, Very very good read on the system of values that we find ourselves immersed in. And some people uh, have noted that there's a crisis of trust with that system. And That, I mean, you. Well, I think in Ontario we we have a healthy dose of socialism that keeps us balanced. But liberty for me, not for thee. (laughs) I.
0: Chapter five. Principle of liberty. I'll check that one out. Thanks, C.D. Yeah. Um. So yeah, nothing turns me uh cranksy obviously with our discussion has changed a whole dramatic bit since we were just talking earlier about nice things and then you get me into local politics and
1: it's there's just, a lot of anger there yeah um and justifiable like you're saying there were 10 people who demonstrated when when this person who wrote his own dis- job description stepped into it and those
0: no, was when he got hired as the region CEO, First he went like this move and then he went. Okay, over here. then he went laterally. And
1: he's like, what's he know
0: about? Like this is a it's a billion dollar corporation, isn't it? The region? I'm pretty sure.
1: Oh it's gotta yeah, be. Yeah, their
0: budget I think is a billion dollar. It's gotta
1: be. There's half a million people who live in this region. Um, and yeah, I I mean I yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah,
0: that that gets me cranked up. And there is anger there. And I kind of think, like, my talent is engaged. I hope it's engaging people in it. It's I hope it's, like, I leaked the bridge report. I got my hands on it. I'm like, fuck this. I don't care if the OPP is investigating. I'm leaking this thing because it's people's right to know, and they don't know, and this stuff is being suppressed from them, and what the fuck for? Oh, there's an investigation going on. Who cares? They're never going to fucking convict anyone of fraud or anything that's going on. It, with what's in that report, guaranteed, because they've covered their tracks, they've closed those doors and buried the files and as much as they can, you know? And that's, uh, again, that's my resigned, cynical attitude towards politics, because, you know, they all say, you can't bitch if you don't vote. Well, yeah, you can, and most people do, because most people don't vote, and everyone bitches. And I say, you know what? Forget voting doesn't matter. Vote for yourself. Like, don't sit on the fucking couch and just go be a lemming and run up there. Run it as an independent and vote. Do You know how many times I've voted for my name? Like, I want, if I'm going to make a difference, it's going to be because I'm putting a scratch beside my name. I'm voting for me. That's the way I plan on making it. Well, I mean,
1: it's but the you way have avenue. I you. I've you're used. talking literally vote for yourself. Yeah. Well, then we'd all have to run. We'd all have to run for president. Yeah. Problems. I mean, I think a lot I of mean, people... I mean,
0: if that was the mentality of most of us, then at least more of us would be involved. I think... Even if you weren't running literally, I mean, you know.
1: Engaging. Mm-hmm. And, and Yeah. There's this idea, like, a lot of people say, like, uh, I, I'm i not political. And, oh, and it's such a... It's a, it's a crock. It's a crock. It's a lie. Innately, the, you know what the, Our
0: most powerful lies are the ones that we actually come to believe that yeah, are yeah. just bullshit. But that's and come
1: you, to mean... That means I'm not engaged in civic conversation, and it's like, well, that's not a good thing. Like, no, basically, you've relinquished your right to be a citizen. I think we you, should
0: all be bit better as citizens by calling each other on our bullshit, right? So when you say to me, "Hey, um, you know, I can't do I, I can't do that tomorrow because um, um, I have a fear of heights and that's not good for me to go there tomorrow." Well, what do you mean? CD, because you and me climbed that tree yesterday. We're 300 feet in the air. You don't think that's high? What? That's You're not afraid of heights. Oh. And then you're like, oh, you're caught. You're caught. You're like, oh, well, really what I meant to say is I'm, I don't want to do it for whatever reason, but you've labeled it with this excuse that's a fucking fabrication and a lie, and your friend knows it's a lie. So for him to say, okay, well, maybe next time then is, is disingenuous and lacks integrity, too. So I think we would all be better off if we just went, um, you're full of shit, bro. (laughs) With love and respect, you know, because so many of us are walking around brain dead, so attached to decisions we made about ourselves and fears that we suffer From the age of four or five years old, when something traumatic happened, you know, you were running through the sprinkler and you stepped on a bee and your leg was on fire and something was wrong. You made a decision right then and there. You're going to wear slippers around your life for the rest. You don't go in the grass without shoes now. You're careful. You're careful, but you're careful all through life. Why? Because a fucking bee stung your foot. This is what we do as humans. I think it's interesting, right? So you go, oh, no, I don't do those things because I'm too careful. Well, no, you weren't careful the other night. Oh, well, that's different, okay? Well, it's different, but your lie is bullshit,
1: but it's and a, you
0: believe it, and a, you're trying to sell it to me. And most people are like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're that way," and they they stroke you, and they give you evidence, and you can find evidence for that lie everywhere. You can also find, more likely, more evidence for the, the truth, which is opposite of the lie, which actually proves that. It is a lie, and so you can find just as much evidence, but we, you spend your time finding evidence for the lie so much that you're, it's like, you know, an analogy is, you know, cold beer here, you know, guy with the, I don't want to say the girl, right? The guy with the, you know, selling the, the cold beer. Yeah, vendor. vendor going up and down the stallion. It's Cold yeah. beer here. hawker. That's your hawk your lie, right? And most people are buying, they're going, Yo, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And you're we want if, your cold yeah, beer. Yeah, we'll pay double. And they're like, oh, validating your bullshit lie that you're trying to sell to them. I'm afraid of heights. Whatever. I'm always late. Whatever the lie is, right? Yeah. And so you find I mean, evidence and you sell that. And then once in a while, one of your good buddies will go, that's bullshit. Don't try and sell me. That fucking whole tray is all full of bullshit. But I mean, I'm that, not buying it.
1: Yeah. If 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 it. If it was a scenario where the hawker is like cold beer, cold beer, and then you're like, I'll have a cold beer because I like cold beer and then you looked at the tray and there was actual bulls shit in the in the cups. Yeah, see? I would not buy that. Yeah. I would not buy that. <laughs> Stop selling your bullshit. Hawker.
0: Amen C D. Um So yeah, it's uh I think we could go a long way with our personal responsibility, and it goes back to this laissez-faire, laissez-faire attitude. Is it, what do you call it? Laissez.
1: Laissez-faire, laissez-faire is yeah. it's a French term, and it, "fair" means to make. I don't, I don't know what laissez-faire. It sounds mm-hmm. like lazy, but. Um.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh,
1: but you
0: know what? Everyone's different in their own way, and this is about acceptance and tolerance and, and living like jesus if you think that the, that was a pretty cool way to live um, absolutely like i you know, i struggle with my faith and all that kind of things uh, well, the one thing i will try and always do with anyone that i'm with is try and draw some commonalities some things that we share well one we're human so we all share that and i think we lose track of that too like we don't care about our neighbors anymore <laughs> like, you know our, we, our communities are disintegrated into these silos of individualism and it's fucking killing us and what the only thing that it gives you any joy really is when you make a difference for someone when you like I think and I think that the, the, the opportunities for that are well, they've been stripped from us number one and then we, and we don't go seeking them either because it's such an egocentric society with, you know, you have to have a job to pay the money to to, to get the food, and that sucks. Um, and everything's so expensive, like all the, t- you know, you go look at the prices of natural resources. It's hydro, and it's gonna, it's going crazier. It's gonna get way wh- and and it's all because of government inefficiencies and corruption and graft and payoffs and stuff like that. And and also
1: and, us turning away from each other. I think you, I think you're right on to say that, like we turn away from each other. We go into our own worlds and we don't even in, engage with the people around us. Um, and, and so I see that and it's, yeah. it's very much an incentivized for us not to, um, but I think yeah. there are natural incentives that come from loving the people who are in our world yeah
0: the payoffs are great but we don't again and I, I'm, yeah you're going to hit the same point we don't get enough experience with that we forget what it feels like to help and love someone that's a stranger like you know and, and then people are just so, so shocked like it you know i'm trying to be the guy that goes above and beyond like doesn't just hold the door but you know like there's like has grace for people and time and is respectful and you know, and you don't see that out there much. And you have to create those own, those own opportunities for yourself sometimes, because if you don't, you forget what it's like. Your connectedness is isolated. So from a standpoint that you, we don't say hi to our neighbors. Fuck. We used to have to live with them. You know, we used to grow food together. We used to farm together. Our kids were spent all day together they're You know, like. It's so different now, and I'm not saying it's well, all our, it's our neighbors all wrong,
1: were probably wolves. At sometimes, at some time, we would have been in the forest, and there would have been like our neighbors were like deer and wolves, and and uh, you know even if we had a farm, um, with that, like Louis C.K. comes to mind because he he presents the off- opposite point. It's just like I don't want to say hi. I, <laughs> I do don't either. <laughs> right yeah and he's just like and then how do you how do you like even if there's some sort of great connection point to be had if you make the time to engage with someone how do you overcome the walls of I don't want to do that yeah. uh, to actually get to that point
0: point? and it's not really necessary for us anymore we, we don't live in a community where we actually need each other Right. We we used to live in a time when and we've grown out all through this in one way or another. We all had to help someone else get by. We took care of our neighbor. You know, we had to, you know, it was. And and we're not in life and death situations anymore either, which is, you know, I don't know. It's a great motivator. Yeah. And I think it was Rogan said on his podcast one time something about. um, uh, There was like a. An issue that they were discussing and I think he was making it like, you know, this wouldn't matter if food wasn't plentiful. In other words, this is only a problem because we've got nothing better to talk about. Or or the, our lives are so stable and so easy as far as sustenance goes and staying alive goes. For most of us, uh, we're not just getting by. But if food was not so plentiful we <laughs> and that was our main concern is we had to grow and take care of ourselves every day instead of going to the store and buying it, then this wouldn't be a problem. I thought that was a cool analogy from yeah, the standpoint. It's, that it's there's a so many things we don't have to worry about. You're right. talking about electricity. You throw a light switch. You don't understand where it comes from. And when you really think about it, that energy is worth far more than we're actually paying for it in dollars and cents as far as what its social impact is what its impact is on the health of society. Like, if we adjusted, if we put all the costs for that electricity in there from the standpoint of public health, and, uh, you know, all the all, if we really included mm-hmm. all the costs of the electricity getting into your light switches, it'd be three times what it is now.
1: But Just like burning fuel.
0: It's bad. It makes you have asthma. Like, stop putting carbon in the atmosphere or whatever it is that we're breathing.
1: Look at the... Uh the hydro generating plant that was built, people died in building that. That's the real cost of making that. There was a huge civic project that had to be done to make canals to divert the water from from the river. And so there was a lot of teamwork that had to be made to, to make it possible that our light be running from the running water, from what was once running water It's now a currency of light and heat, Um, and I'm digging in there. Where where did that thought come from? Well,
0: it isn't isn't true because a lot of our power is still coming from 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 uh, gas-powered plants, and um, you know that whole hydro game is is another rigged nuclear market that just doesn't. Oh, and we skipped this over. when you build windmills, you have to own the public power afterwards. <laughs> if you're gonna invest in anything, you invest in public power. You don't sell it. And that's what they're doing. They're selling it off now, you know what I mean? Um, where were we going? Did we circle back? Did you forget? We double forgot. <laughs> Time for a beer. Uh, I always use the brain fart as a a signifier. A re kick. Yeah. Three forty seven, what we got? two hours CD alright let's take a break let's go for a smoke and get a drink of water and uh CD
1: refresh uh but we were oh the